We live, baby. We are here. Oh my god, we did it. Welcome to our Christmas episode. We're so happy to be here. So, how is everybody feeling? <sighs> Ready for this uh, year to be over? Have a little downtime on the holidays and yeah, start 2020 with hopefully a better energy. Start yes. 2021, you mean? Oh, yes, God, no, not a ground Go hug. back. <laughs> Go back to 2020 and it's like a groundhog year. Yeah, that'd be horrible. What about you, Sophie? I I feel exhausted and yes, tired of this year and all this, all everything that happened. But um, as Sarah said, I'm looking forward to the next year and hopefully a more positive start and a more positive time we all have. Right. What was the what was for you the best thing about this year, if you can recall something? For me, I think it's starting a podcast. Uh, clearly. <laughs> no, it was that was a highlight. Um, yeah, just getting stuff done, even though it was harder. True. Yeah. Um, for me, the highlight was that I felt like um, the connections and the relationships I had with people uh, getting were getting more deep and more meaningful because we were all in the same situation and you really realize what the people are that you want to spend your time with and who are always there for you when you feel sad because you're at home all the time or who are there for you to have a video call whenever you want you know so you had this really nice i had this really nice conversations with people and really deepened friendships if i can say so that's nice so it wasn't all bad no yeah we definitely like i feel like a lot of people reconnected um like sophie said because we're all in the same even though we're in different places we're all kind of in the same situation and so i definitely reconnected with people i hadn't been in touch with in you know over a year so that was cool that's true at some point i think the and later spring a few of my friends that i haven't spoken to in a really long time just randomly chatted like oh hey how are you doing are you handling this quarantine well how are you doing it over in germany it was quite nice yeah exactly i had friends calling from trinidad and tobago czech republic uk slovakia it's quite a quite an eclectic collection and i also spend uh, spend much more time with my cats than usual because i've been working from home so much so that was nice <laughs> i bet they're happy have. about that <laughs> yeah. how many cats do you have two Shout out to my cats. <laughs> Murphy, I love you. Give a fuck. Actually, Lucy, my trouble is Christmas. I just don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. I know how you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. 
lot of us, especially the Brits and Americans listening, are well versed in the classic Christmas time poem called The Night Before Christmas. So I decided to dig in and see where this popular piece comes from. In the process, I discovered a bit more about the man, the myth, the legend that is Santa Claus. The Night Before Christmas is actually titled A Visit from St. Nicholas and was first published anonymously in 1823 and later attributed to Clement Clark Moore, an American professor of Oriental and Greek literature at the General Theological Seminary in New York City. Gotham, A History of New York City to 1998 by historians Edwin G. Burroughs and Mike Wallace, says the poem is arguably the best known verses ever written by an American. Apparently, Moore wrote the poem on a snowy winter day while he was on a shopping trip in, what else? A sleigh. According to Penne L. Rastad in Christmas Time in America, it was this poem that gave us many of the features that are associated with today's Santa Claus. Before the poem became popular, Americans had many different versions of St. Nicholas and other Christmas visitors. Moore's idea of St. Nicholas was borrowed from his friend Washington Irving, an American writer and diplomat who penned classics like Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Irving had a large impact on the way Americans celebrated Christmas due to his 1812 revisions to A History of New York, in which he added a dream sequence featuring St. Nicholas soaring over treetops in a flying wagon. Unlike Irving, Moore's St. Nick arrived on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day. Interestingly, at the time he wrote the poem, Christmas Day was taking over New Year's Day as the most important family holiday of the season. But some Protestants thought Christmas was the result of Catholic ignorance and deception, so Moore avoided the religious controversy by having St. Nick arrive the night before. And so this child-centric version of Christmas was adopted in America. So, who was the real St. Nick? St. Nicholas of Myra is recorded as living from the year 270 to the year 343. He was also known as Nicholas of Bari and was an early Christian bishop during the Roman Empire. He was of Greek descent and hailed from Myra in Asia Minor, what is now Demra, Turkey. He is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, and brewers, but also pawnbrokers, repentant thieves, prostitutes, unmarried people, and European students. Quite an eclectic mix there, Nick. Nicholas came to saintly prominence because he was the patron of so many groups, and by around 1200, he became known as the patron of children and a magical gift bringer because of two great stories from his life. One story is not as known these days, but historian Jerry Bowler, author of Santa Claus, A Biography, says it was enormously well-known in the Dark Ages, and for good reason. In this story, Bishop Nicholas went into an inn whose keeper had just murdered three boys and pickled their dismembered bodies in basement barrels. Nicholas sensed the crime and also resurrected the victims. Damn. The more prominent tale is thankfully less morbid. In this one, Nicholas saves three young girls from prostitution when he secretly delivered three bags of gold to their indebted father, which he could use for dowries. And it is this famous habit of secret gift-giving that gave rise to the idea of St. Nick and then Santa Claus through Sinterklaas, a Dutch concept. The Feast of Sinterklaas celebrates St. Nicholas Day on the 6th of December in many Western European countries and former territories of the Dutch Empire. Sinterklaas is usually shown as an elderly, stately, and serious man with white hair and a long, full beard. He wears a long red cape over a bishop's alb, the long, white dress-like garment. He carries a large red book, which tells him which children have been good or naughty in the past year. 
In the Netherlands, St. Nicholas Eve on December 5th became the most popular gift-giving occasion during the winter season. Parents, family, and friends pretend to act on behalf of Sinterklaas or his helpers to fool children into thinking that Sinterklaas has given them presents. In places like Southern Netherlands, Belgium, and Germany, most children receive their gifts from St. Nicholas on the morning of December 6th. And with the influence of the North American media and the Anglo-Saxon Christmas tradition, in recent times, families here also celebrate on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So how did Sinterklaas become Santa Claus? Well, the Dutch brought their holiday traditions with them when they colonized New York City, then New Amsterdam. But after the British takeover, the Sinterklaas holiday began to be shunned as a pagan holiday. By the American Revolution, it seems the Sinterklaas traditions were largely forgotten, and Christmas was an inconsequential holiday. Then, in the early 19th century, St. Nicholas made a revival with the works of Irving, mentioned earlier, who wrote a book in 1809 called Knickerbocker's History of New York. In this book, he portrayed St. Nick as smoking a pipe, soaring over rooftops, and delivering presents to good girls and boys. Sound familiar? According to a National Geographic article by Brian Hanorg, in 1821, an anonymous illustrated poem entitled The Children's Friend went much further in shaping the modern Santa and associating him with Christmas. It is in this poem that Santa Claus as we know him makes his first appearance. According to Bowler, mentioned earlier, the magical gift-giving of St. Nicholas was adopted while any religious characteristics were stripped away and he was dressed in the shaggy furs of early Germanic gift-bringers. This Santa Claus figure brought gifts to good children, but he also carried a birch rod, which the poem directed, a parent's hand to use when the virtue's path his sons refuse. Yikes. In this poem, Santa's wagon was pulled by one single reindeer, but the next year, both the leader and the squad would get a major makeover. And that brings us back to 1822 and Clement Clark Moore's The Night Before Christmas. Four handwritten copies of the poem are known to exist today. Three are in museums, and the fourth, written and signed by Moore, was given as a gift to a friend in 1860. It was sold by a private collector to another in December of 2006 for 280,000 US dollars. Apparently, the unnamed purchaser lives in New York City and is the CEO of a media company. And now we will leave you with the new take on the poem, which I wrote to reflect this anu horrible we've experienced this past year. Enjoy! And now, Twas the Night Before Christmas, by Sarah Roach. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house we were tossing and turning, even the mouse. Because this year has given us so much stress, none of us can ever get any rest. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, with visions of virus probably dancing in their heads. It is what it is. And Dad in his scarf and I in my mask had settled down for a family budgeting task. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the table to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a kite and told Alexa to turn on all the floodlights. Lights off. Even amidst the newest lockdown, someone was outside messing around. What to my weary eyes should appear but a wooden sleigh led by eight reindeer. I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick, while normally I wouldn't believe this shit. But it's 2020 and nothing makes sense, so I watched the old guy and here's what commenced. He called Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. They flew to the roof, but even up there, I have a smart home with cams everywhere. I saw him dressed in real fur, clearly not woke. 
All in red with his complexion? Must be a joke. But his eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, totes merry. His cheeks were like roses. His nose, like a cherry. The stump of a pipe, he held tight in his teeth. And the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. Aha, that made sense. Of course he flew high. Did you bring me some? I thought with a sigh. Then down the chimney he came with an elf, and I laughed when I saw them in spite of myself. He had a kind face and a big round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. Oh, thank goodness, I thought with a smirk. This year we need all the help we can get. Just throw in a PS5 and we're set. And he sprang to his sleigh and gave such a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he flew a great distance, Merry Christmas to all, and 2020 good riddance. Give a fuck. Okay, we gathered today, we gathered today <laughs> to talk about Christmas, even though it's not Christmas quite yet, it's uh, December 9th when we are recording this episode, but we are already trying to get into the Christmas mood. Uh, just as a background information, um, Sophie is from Germany, Sarah is from the US of A, and I am from a little Central Eastern European country called Slovakia. And then we just were discussing Christmases and December in general, we each have different customs, different understanding of what Christmas is, um, just different background of Christmas in general. So what I noticed as a foreigner in a different country or living in different countries is that Christmas and where I come from is extremely religious. It's very, it's very deep. You always have to look into yourself and look at what you've done this year and have you been a good person have you been a bad person and if you've been good then you know good for you and if you've been bad then this is the time for you to repent for your sins and it's all really extremely pressurizing and i don't like that i think christmas in western societies which are a bit more hmm, maybe consumption oriented <laughs> uh, are a lot about just like having a good time and having an eggnog <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true. It's yeah, there's a lot of people, I mean, myself included, that love the holiday for the pump and the decorations and everything um, and don't really have a lot of religious affiliation with it. But I think it also comes with a lot of special family times and um, just growing up. The, the magic of Christmas is just like unrivaled. So even if it's not a religious based thing, there's something just magical about about remembering when you were a kid and then trying to give that to your kids i think so and um i'm i'm not a religious person at all but um and i cannot speak for all of germany but um i gather from my friends that christmas is like the one night of the year where they actually visit church and where they go to go to church and they um they have a really good experience because um they make the midnight mass so they when they um, attend the mass it's done really nicely and it's really festive and so a lot of my friends really like to go to church that night even if they don't go to church the rest of the year they, it's kind of a tradition and they all like to attend the mass then yeah that's actually I have, yeah i have a similar experience it's it's only mass if you're catholic so i went to a protestant church uh growing up in the states and it was 
So we called it midnight service. And I think it was usually at like 11 p.m. and ended at midnight. But it was the only time I liked to go to church because the whole thing was lit up with candles and we sung, you know, all the Christmas carols that, you know, the religious ones, of course. And it was, yeah, it was really nice and magical. It was definitely the the best time. Plus, you got to stay up past your bedtime. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. We actually do do the same, even though during the year we don't get to go to church that often on the Christmas Eve, we usually go. And that's another thing. I think in Europe, it's all about Christmas Eve. Like that to me is the big day. It's about dinner and dr dressing up and like washing up yourself and then having dinner with your family. Whereas in the States and the UK, it's a lot about the morning after. Yeah. Yeah, it's about Christmas Day and waking up and opening all your gifts and then playing with all your gifts and then, and then going and getting together with family. And like, that's how we would do it, get together and have a nice dinner. But yeah, definitely more focused on the 25th rather than here. Like here in Germany, it's much more about the 24th. Um, when, when I was growing up, um, there was no particular rule when we get to open the presents, but it was kind of... When when the when nightfall came, you know, when the daylight was gone, then it's kind of the place to start uh, the dinner and place to start to opening the presents. So I was always waiting as a kid anxiously when finally dark has fallen and I can open all the presents. <laughs> Which is quite early in in winter. Yeah. And you could open you could have opened your presents before the f the food arrived. Um, yeah, my mom wasn't really that strict when it comes to like to be to be traditional or to be like oh we have to eat dinner first and then you can open your presents it was more of a because i was so anxious the whole day and so excited about the presents she was kind of letting me open the presents and then i started playing or i started like putting them together and she was making dinner and then we were eating together so i know that a lot of house households do it differently so they have like this tradition of first sitting down to dinner and then after dinner they get dessert and then they open the presents all together which i also think is nice i think whatever fit whatever works for your family best you know yeah i think every family has their own little traditions that they follow the way we did it is that we we are not supposed to eat the whole day in Slovakia on the 24th. You're supposed yeah. to fast. Uh, and then if you fast properly, um, the rumor is that you will see a golden pig. <laughs> so it's all about like, oh, who's going to see the golden pig? Is the golden so, pig going to be there? Because you're so hungry that you're supposed to have this fantasy. Oh my. <laughs> so go, a golden <laughs> boar. Wow. Golden so that's just, you're hallucinating from starvation. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be this Fata Morgana, whatever it's called, and then you're on the desert. It? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then so basically you don't eat or you just eat very little and then you always need to have fish, which I recently found out it originates from um, Jewish um, customs to always have carp for Christmas. Hmm. It's a Jewish fish, I don't know about Jewish fish, but the fish that Jewish people usually eat. Uh, but then we, of course, adopted the trends of salmon or whatever fish is currently in and have that, that one instead. Do you believe in some of the like the spiritual journey that this planet has been through this year? Because some of my friends that are a bit more into meditation and astrology are saying that this is all like part of a big transformation of humanity and it's actually all it, it actually all should come down to the December 21st. That's where the Jupiter and Saturn or whatever will align. It'll, will not be retrograding each other or whatever is the expression and we're gonna know the truth why okay. this year was so shitty. 
On the winter solstice? On the winter solstice, exactly. Are your friends in cults? Uh, not officially, but I think they might be. <laughs> <laughs> there is a really good horror movie called Midsummer, which is exactly about this. It's yeah. It looks good. I hate horror movies, though, so I haven't watched it. <laughs> Me too. It's really good because uh, usually when you watch horror movies, your your brain is used to think that whenever there's dark, whenever night happens, it's when the bad things happen. And then during the day, it's like, okay, so now they're gonna like figure out what happened, move forward, and the night comes and again the killer arrives. But in midsummer, because it's set on in, during summer solstice, uh, it's light all the time and bad things are happening. So it's kind of a mindfuck for your brain. Yeah. Give a fuck. Christmas time is upon us, and for many of us, that means curling up on the couch with a hot cup of tea and a good movie. If you're anything like me, you've watched all the Christmas favorites back and forth. But let's forget The Grinch and Home Alone for a moment. I'm here to tell you, there might be some movies that you missed and are actually perfect for setting the cozy holiday mood. I'm Sophie and for our special Christmas episode, I will talk about the best movies to watch during the most wonderful time of the year. So what makes a movie a Christmas movie? To me, there are three indicators. One, it tells the Christmas story. It can be from Christian origin or focus on secular themes and popular modern customs. Two, it is set during Christmas time. The movie is telling an unrelated story, but the plot is set during the holidays. Three, it is a movie of any genre that for some reason generations of people have been watching around Christmas time. Let's start with one from the latter category. It's a familiar classic, at least for our German listeners. Drei Haselnüsse für Aschenbrödel, or Three Nuts for Cinderella, is a Czechoslovak East German fairy tale film directed by Václav Vorlicek. The film had its international premiere in East Berlin in 1973 and is until today an integral part of the Christmas program of German public broadcasters. The plot is basically the one of Cinderella's story. A beautiful girl is left in the unfortunate care of her cruel stepmother and jealous stepsister, who constantly mistreat her, forcing Aschenbrödel to work as a scullery maid in her own home. On a walk in the woods, Aschenbrödel meets the young Prince Charming. The prince does not pay attention to Aschenbrödel at first, but with the help of three magical hazelnuts, the girl in changing disguises can conquer his heart. When she loses her shoe at the infamous ball, well, I think we all know how it goes from here. What makes the movie such a Christmas cult film is probably the beautiful shots of the snowy landscape in combination with the innocent fairy tale plot and above all the memorable score. Many people will recognize it just by me humming it. Singing leads me to our next movie, The Preacher's Wife. If you're longing for some sentimental romance this season, I strongly recommend one of my personal favorites, the 1996 American comedy drama The Preacher's Wife, directed by Penny Marshall. Pop star Whitney Houston portrays the neglected wife of a pastor of a small African-American Baptist church in a poverty-stricken neighborhood of New York City. 
With Christmas approaching, membership is declining and the church's finances are in trouble. So the pastor prays to God for help, which comes in the form of Denzel Washington, who portrays an actual angel, here to help the struggling church and marriage of the pastor. But as it turns out, not even the most celestial being is impervious to Houston's charm and he falls in love with the preacher's wife. The movie is inspired by The Bishop's Wife from 1947 with Cary Grant as the angel, which again was adapted from the novel of the same name by Robert Nathan from 1928. While Washington's passionate performances are always a delight to watch, the real highlight of the movie is of course Whitney Houston and her unmatched voice. Houston herself was raised in a Baptist church and started performing as a soloist in the Junior Gospel Choir at age 11. Throughout her career, gospel among soul and pop had a strong influence on her music and sound. The movie score was nominated for an Academy Award and the original soundtrack is the best-selling gospel album of all time. If you're not in the mood for a family flick or rom-com, maybe a dark comedy set during the holiday season might do the trick. Introducing In Bruges. In the feature film debut of Irish director Martin McDonough from 2008, Christmas is mentioned only a few times, but it inhabits the season's pensive nature nonetheless. In Bruges celebrated its premiere at the Sundance Film Festival and afterwards quickly achieved cool status, which was accelerated by a Golden Globe for Colin Farrell and a BAFTA award for the script. To the plot. After the last job of the two professional killers Ken and Ray went south, the two find themselves in small Belgian town Bruges and wait for the instructions of their boss. While Ken sets off on a tour to see all the sights of the city, aggressive Ray gets into trouble at every corner. When boss Harry calls, the tranquility of beautiful Bruges is finally over. All in all, in Bruges is not for the faint-hearted or if you're easily offended by strong language, but it's definitely worth the watch. But why watch it during Christmas time? In his review of the film, author Vikram Murthy characterizes Christmas as a notoriously existential holiday, when the inescapable downtime forces us to quietly contemplate life and our regrets and failures, just like the two protagonists do. He goes on, it's easier to ignore the inevitable fact of aging and death in spring and summer months, when the sun shines brightest. Let's move on to a movie from the category Animated Movies You Should Not Watch With Your Small Kids. Tokyo Godfathers is a 2003 Japanese film directed by Satoshi Kon, loosely based on Peter B. Kane's novel Three Godfathers. In this anime reinterpretation of the nativity story, a trio of homeless people is surviving as a makeshift family on the streets of Tokyo. Middle-aged alcoholic Jin, teenage runaway Miyuki and trans woman and former drag queen Hana are rummaging in the trash for food on Christmas Eve when they stumble upon an abandoned newborn baby in a trash bin. With only a handful of clues to the baby's identity, the three misfits search the streets of Tokyo for help in returning the baby to its parents. Tokyo Godfather touches various topics like violence, discrimination, suicide attempts and AIDS that could be deadly sad and ruin the festive mood immediately. Instead, it is a tale of friendship, family and a universal desire to belong. It reflects the general optimism associated with the winter holidays and can definitely be categorized as a bittersweet feel-good movie. It also serves as a reminder of how hard life can be and that some people are more fortunate than others. Please consider following the example of the three protagonists and do a good deed this winter. Many organizations are dedicated to provide support for those experiencing homelessness and poverty. 
hier in Düsseldorf Vision Teilen and 50-50 have brought a project to life called Gute Nachtbus, which is a van equipped to offer help at night and especially during the cold season when people who live on the street are vulnerable and need extra support. Please consider donating if you can. We will put the link gutenachtbus.org up on our website givefuck.net as well. If you're in the mood for a more action-packed movie this season, I could recommend the eternal classic Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. Bruce Willis as a vest-wearing one-man army who takes on a group of German bank robbers who are holding his wife and her unlucky colleagues hostage during the office Christmas party. Who doesn't get into the holiday spirit when Bruce Willis slides down a chimney? Uh, I mean, air vent. But let's talk about a film whose qualification as a Christmas movie might be even more controversial. Tim Burton's second Batman movie from 1992, Batman Returns, scored big at the box office and received positive reviews, although its dark tone was criticized. What struck me the most is Michelle Pfeiffer's performance, which is constantly referred to as the greatest portrayal of Catwoman of all time by critics and fans. So here's the gist. Michael Keaton reprises his role as a charismatic and slightly groomy Bruce Wayne slash Batman. He is faced with a variety of enemies this time. Christopher Walken as a deeply corrupt businessman Max Schreck. Michelle Pfeiffer as Selina Kyle slash Catwoman, who rose from the grave as a sassy badass version of herself, with kickboxing skills and a sudden urge to wear black latex exclusively and to take revenge on all men. Which seems fair to be honest. The last enemy on the list is Oswald Cobblepot. The villain was raised by penguins, yes you heard that right, in Gotham's sewers after his parents tried to drown him in a frozen river. This upbringing left him to look like a penguin himself and filled him with the desire to kill all firstborn sons of the city. Though the characters might not be filled with cheer, their surroundings most certainly are. Set during the holidays in Gotham, the movie features a Christmas tree lighting, a holiday party and one giant present filled with confetti and wicked criminals. Burton indulges in the candy-striped creepiness of Christmas. If you like his aesthetic in general, Batman Returns holds no disappointments. The internet is of divided opinion as usual. Many were reluctant since holiday films are largely about family and the importance of togetherness, and Batman Returns is really not. I read this tweet which I think was fitting. Batman Returns is a Christmas movie by, for and about total weirdos. In that sense, I hope you enjoyed this incomplete list of unexpected Christmas movies. No matter how you spend the holidays, remember to be safe, eat your veggies and stay weird. Give a fuck. Okay, but I think we should end on a positive note because we've been talking now for a while and we have your lovely stories to add to this episode as well. So we don't want to make it too long and I'm going to want to make it too boring. What should we what should we tell our colleagues and our listeners to the, to end this podcast? What should we wish them in 2021? I guess to take what we learned this year through all the hardships and apply it when we are back to the new normal and maybe not go back to crazy normal busy all the time work you know work 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 working out but you know shopping everything all the time 
I think everyone slowed down a bit. So hopefully we can take that into even when it's not necessary. And also I want to say, um, continue to take care of yourself and others, protect yourself, wear a mask, still wash your hands, listen to the scientists. Don't listen to people who tell you that Corona does not exist or that Bill Gates wants to harvest your brain or whatever they tell you. Listen to the scientists, be mindful, be mindful of others. You know, um, I think this year was also a lot about um, furthering pro processes that were already being there, like Black Lives Matter. Um, so I think we should keep that going and, you know, be be mindful of that and try to implement all these things we learned this year, because I feel like a lot of people learn so much new things, try to implement it next year and be a good human. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. Sophie, you wrapped it up pretty well. Actually, I was even thinking about it. And to be fair, I wouldn't mind having a chip, even if that was true in my body. What's the, what's the problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> you take deliberately the chip in your phone with you anywhere you go anyways. Uh, like this, at least you don't have to always have it on your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I wish our listeners and our clients and our colleagues, well, I wish our clients to have a lot of money to spend it with Havas. <laughs> uh, that would be amazing. And I wish uh, my colleagues to, I guess, just really like breathe out in the end of the year and then breathe in at the beginning of the year to start in a serene set of mind. Because it's going to take a while still, in my opinion, for everything to settle again. But this is the finishing line and we just need to keep on pushing a little bit more and still try to be sane while finishing this and not give in into and stop reading news <laughs> because it's horrible and even though there's a lot of scientists saying uh, all the information but yeah i think uh to distance yourself not only from sick people and other people but distance yourself from the all the craziness is probably a good way how to maintain personal sanity until you get a vaccine. Yes. And with that, I'm going to close this episode. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I think I think we have a, quite a good setup and I think we had a nice conversation. Hopefully we can get better mics soon <laughs> and then we can actually meet in person and have this conversation okay. in an actual studio. Cool. Ooh. I'm going to stop the recording now. Great. Give a fuck.